Welcome to the R&B Podcast, where we keep it real and biblical. The podcast to expand your Bible knowledge and boost your faith. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Let's get into another truth-filled and exciting episode of Real Biblical Matter. Good morning. Hopefully you are uh, making the most of this season. It's a cold season. It's also COVID season. And so hopefully you are getting out or staying inside. Uh, whatever the doctor calls for, and you're making the most of this season. And so I'm excited to be able to uh, share a few words with us this morning. Uh, Today we begin a three-week series called Renovation of the Heart. Renovation of the Heart. The title actually comes from a book that I'm reading called Renovation of the Heart. And uh, the premise is, man, that, that we have behaviors, we have actions, there are things feelings, thoughts, attitudes. Those are all the things that shape our lives. And yet, it's amazing how small things can turn into foundational or big things, right? And so I think about uh, um, something as small as cleaning out your gutter. You think about cleaning out your gutters. You should do that, by the way, a couple times a year. But uh, at our last house that we own, we had uh, some gutter issues and previous person didn't clean them out. And, and what had happened was over the course of time, because the gutters weren't clean, the rain came over and it, there were different points where the rain would actually hit the yard. And rather than just hitting the yard and then uh, hitting the grass, hitting the dirt, and then just kind of uh, uh, washing away, what it ended up doing was uh, blazing a trail back towards the house. And so rather than the house, the dirt sloping away from the house, it began to, the dirt began to slope towards the house and it created negative drainage. If you've ever had negative drainage, you know that is not a small issue. And so negative drainage could actually lead to foundational problems. And so when you have foundational problems, man, your house begins to be compromised. And so you, uh, and we're talking big money, big issues when your house and your structure is uh, being compromised. So what started as something small, cleaning a few leaves out of the gutter, uh, actually potentially became a huge issue, a huge concern where we had uh, foundational issues at our home. Now you think about that, and uh, the same thing applies for us spiritually. You know, there are times in life where something small could uh, lead to and impact us in a major way. And so I think about, let me give you an example from, from my personal life. Um, oftentimes, uh, I'm coming home, and I think about one time in particular where Kim was uh, making dinner. So I walk into the house, and uh, she's uh, cutting up some strawberries. And so when, she's cut, when she cuts up strawberries, uh, she actually cuts off the top, because who likes the top of the strawberry with the leaf and all that good stuff? And uh, she proceeds to throw away the top. So I come in and I see her cutting up strawberries and I'm watching her, she cuts off each of the top, she th- puts them to the side and then she throws them in the trash. trash. I see that and I'm like, what are you doing? What an incredible waste. All of those strawberry tops along with the leaves and you're taking them and you're throwing away. Man, it's like half of the strawberry being thrown away. 
it's not really that much, but it felt like it. It seemed like a, all the strawberries being wasted. I'm thinking, man, what could you use those strawberry tops for? Oatmeal, uh, cereal, uh, ice cream. I mean, all kinds of things you can use those strawberry tops for. And, um, and the problem with that is, you know, it's, that's not the only area. I'm talking with Kim about these strawberry tops and the thing that's floating through my mind is efficiency and, and how much money we're wasting. And I'm neglecting to really acknowledge all the time that she spent in the kitchen cooking, uh, preparing a meal. She's gone to Walmart, which she absolutely hates to do, and shop for hours to get the perfect strawberries. And all I can think about and all I acknowledge and, and communicate to her is the strawberry tops and wasting time and or wasting uh, e efficiency on throwing away these strawberries. I wish I can tell you that that's the only area in which this happens. Unfortunately, this happens, this is a regular conversation in our house. And the problem is, I think this way and I it can be overwhelming and, and tedious and and, and it, it considerate to her because I'm so focused on efficiency and saving money that I, again, I'm not, I'm not, I failed to acknowledge her and value her and the time that she spent. And, and all I can think about is, man, she could be doing, she, the decisions she's making and, uh, and the choices she's making and the different choices that she could make in order to save us money. Now, when I think about this, the problem isn't what I'm saying, or actually it is, the problem is what I'm saying, but even more so, the problem is what's ruling my heart. Now, I've tried to change this, and I've tried to bite my tongue, and I've tried to express appreciation and all those different things, but it just doesn't seem to change. And when I evaluate why it doesn't change, I come to this conclusion, being efficient and saving money is ruling my heart. You see, that becomes a ruling and dominating force in my heart. I'm thinking about how much money we can save in, and I'm thinking about how to be efficient. And that is a dominating and controlling thought that I then pass on to Kim and the rest of the girls. Efficiency and saving money ruling my heart. Now, if you ask me, I say, man, no, God rules my heart. But my actions and my feelings tell a little bit different story. What rules the heart? Well, friends, we call that worship. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to that, that something in, is ruling your heart. Maybe you recognize feelings and thoughts and behaviors in your life. And, and they seem small at first, but yet you understand that those things can have a profound impact. They're something you're, you're trying to control and, and yet you can't. Something you tried to change and, and you prayed about and you asked God and you're asking others for help and yet it doesn't seem to help in the way that you want it to help. Maybe you feel apathy or hurt or you're struggling with smoking or, or yelling uh, there's moodiness or there's flirtation or, or whatever it is. You, you see these behaviors, these feelings, these attitudes, and you feel stuck. 
You can't seem to change. You can't seem to shake these, these, the negativity, the, the sense of discouragement begins to set in and you've lost hope. We tend to try to focus on our actions and our feelings and our behaviors, but yet what's really going on is we have to get in there and deal with what's ruling our hearts, our worship. How do we change? How do we move forward in this? We got to address our worship. You see, affection decides direction. Affection decides direction. Where I direct my affection decides the direction of my attitudes, the direction of my thoughts, the direction of my actions, and ultimately the direction of my life. If I want to change these behaviors, if I want to really make true and and lasting transformation in my life, it begins with what is ruling my heart and understanding that I have to direct my affection at Jesus. I'm reading a book called 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Life, That Can Radically Change Your Family. It's a great book, by the way. I encourage you to pick it up and and read it. And I wanted to read to you a, a couple of quotes here that I believe will be helpful in kind of directing our conversation about worship this morning. Uh, First quote, what do we do what we do because of what we worship? Change is not about behavior management, but about worship realignment. Oh, when I read that, it cuts to the heart. You know, when I look at our our life and our behaviors, life is not about behavior management, but it really and truly is about worship realignment. What we worship is foundational. When we worship, what we worship, it it has an effect on, on every aspect of our lives. When our worship is broken, everything else is broken, including our thinking and our feelings and our attitude. Our whole paradigm shifts and begins to be off center, off target, if our worship isn't directed at Jesus. Worship is about our deepest commitments. It's about the cravings of our heart. It's about where we look for life, for contentment, for satisfaction, for identity, for belonging. These are huge things. And our worship affects each of these aspects of our lives. The meaning, our sense of meaning, our sense of purpose, our sense of peace and security, our identity, all of those things are affected by our worship. Worship is what is ruling our hearts. Affection decides direction. This is a big topic. This is a big topic for me. I believe this is a big topic for us. We only need look around and look at, man, society to understand that worship and the things that rule our hearts is ultimately what directs our decision-making as well as our attitudes and our paradigm. And uh, I mentioned that this is a big topic, and because this is a big topic, I believe that God has something to say about it. Now, the reality is God has something to say about every aspect of our lives, 
But let's go to God's word this morning and look at Exodus chapter 20, where I believe we can learn some different things that are going to help shape and focus our worship, what is ruling our hearts this morning. And so in Exodus chapter 20, we'll pick up there. But before we jump in, I want to give us a little bit of, uh, I want to bring us up to speed on where we're at in human history to help put uh, Exodus 20 in context. God, of course, has created uh, humanity. And he has created Adam, he's created Eve, and, and uh, he created humanity to be able to uh, rule earth through them. And uh, he wanted to rule earth through uh, humans, but with the understanding that we would trust and we would uh, trust in him, we would trust in God, but we would also trust in his wisdom for how we should live. So he gave Adam and Eve a, uh, a, a bit of direction, right? He gave them a commandment. He said, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil or you will die. There were consequences. So what happens? Of course, we know Adam and Eve choose, they decide to eat from the knowledge of good and evil. They decide for themselves what good and evil is. And we see the consequence, death is introduced into the world. And ever since then, humans, you, me, all of us, we, the, our, our deepest wrestle is deciding for ourselves what is good and what is evil. And the consequence of that is we're not connected to God. It creates a separation between us and between God. And we see the destruction and destructive living because of that. So this cycle has continued for thousands of years. And it takes us to Exodus chapter 20, where God is trying to work out this, this amazing plan to restore humanity, humanity back to that of the garden where his people would follow him and worship him and trust him in the truest, in the true sense. And so we pick up in Exodus chapter 20. I'll begin reading in verse 1. And God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the waters below. We see here the first two of God's Ten Commandments that he gives Moses. Uh, the Israelites have just come out of slavery. God has rescued them out of 400 years of slavery. And he's establishing a covenant with this people. By covenant, I mean an agreement. So he's establishing this agreement with this people. Hey, I will take care of you. I'll serve you. I'll love you. I, I, will, I have a plan to rescue you. And I'm going to lead you to this promised land as a people. And, and, and what our side of the bargain is, is these commandments. And so the first two commandments here, uh, the first two uh, uh, um, commandments, worship God. He starts, worship no other God. What is he saying there? He's, let no one else rule your heart but me. Let God and God alone rule your heart. And then the second commandment, there should be no other idols. Be my image bearers. He's already created for himself an idol, which is you and me. We are created in God's image. Therefore, we ought to worship him. We ought to follow and trust him and not create any other idols. 
you look at all the rest of the commandments and they hinge on these two. There are, uh, in, in a sense, uh, ways of, in which we can allow God to rule our heart. Do not misuse God, God's name. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Don't give false, te false testimony. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Each of these things kind of summarize into how we can worship God. In fact, if you look at a, if you summarize the Ten Commandments, it, it has to do with right relationship with God and our worship to God, and then secondly, right relationship with the society. <laughs> Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus' first and second greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what's his second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's no wonder that, that Jesus says that because, man, this is the, 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 the priority of God is us giving our worship to him. It's important to God, and it should also be important to us. That's why he gives these commandments to the Israelites. But the question is, why? Why is worship to God so critical? Why is worship to God so important? Let's look at Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Man, why is worship so important? Because God hears our cries. You know, in the way that God heard the cries of the Egyptians, they're, they're, they're there, they're being enslaved, and, 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 and they cry out, it says in Ephesians or Exodus 3, they cry out to God and God hears them and he gives them, he comes and he rescues them and he leads them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That expresses God's heart, but that's because his people cried out to him. You and I, we're crying out to God for help. Your pain, your struggles, your wrestles, God hears your cries. He knows that you are enslaved. He knows and he has a plan to rescue you. He knows you feel alone. He knows that you, you lack a sense of meaning and purpose and you're crying out to him. You're wrestling with your identity and you're wrestling with your deep-seated fears and you're, and you're crying out to God. God says, hey, I will rescue you. That's one of the reasons we worship God, because we're all in need of help. And we're all crying out for God. And when we cry out for God and we look for God, we find solution in God. When we cry out to God and we look for God for the solution, man, we're able to get the type of help that we really need. Because God hears our cries. And not only does he hear our cries, he actually responds because he's already promised a solution. In uh, Genesis chapter 12, in verse 1 through 3, we read, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You know, this is a promise that uh, God made to Abram, later Abraham. And um, he says that I will bless all nations through you. God establishes this, this promise that through the nation of Abraham that there will be this blessing. Ultimately, he's getting at Jesus. We know that, well, that Jesus will be this ultimate solution to the sin problem, to the worship problem that we have. And that, that is so true for you and I, that God has promised a solution, and that solution is Jesus. We can trust God's promises. He has always come through on his promise. As you look at the scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's the story of God promising to take care of and to rescue his people and each and every step of the way how he's done that. What an amazing God that we have to worship. Not only does he, do we cry out to him because we see our need for God, but man, he has promised a solution to our cries, to our anger, to our pain, to the dysfunction that we live in. And that solution is Jesus. He's made that promise and God always follows through on his promise. And the third thing that I want to point out is God's, the, the third reason why we can we can worship God and why we worship God is because of his character. In Exodus chapter 34, I love this passage. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, it says, And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord. He says it twice as to emphasize, listen, I'm about to say something important here and I need you to listen. He says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished, and he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Powerful passage here. In Exodus chapter 34, God is actually reestablishing his covenant uh, that he gave the Israelites in Exodus 20. And so uh, we'll get into a, that a little bit more next week, but he's reestablishing this covenant and now revealing his character by name for the first time to his people. And he goes on, he says, he's compassionate and gracious. He wants them to understand his compassion and his grace that he has towards them, that he will hear their cries, that he will not only hear their cries, but he will respond with compassion and grace. Not only that, he says, I'm slow to anger. There's this pattern of rejection by God's people time after time, generation after generation. They listen and then they reject him. They, they go towards him and they call out to him and then they, they, they give him the stiff arm and they want to do things on their own. And yet God is slow to anger. He doesn't respond in frustration. You know, I think about a parent, a, a mom who, with a colicky kid. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but 
uh, a parent who, whose kid is just colicking and they're crying and they won't stop and, and you see the parent there, oh my goodness, uh, they, they're, they're, it's almost as if they're not bothered at all by that child. And here I am, um, I, you know, I think of a specific situation, I won't say any names, and uh, the parent, this mom, she's sitting there with her baby. The baby's just screaming and colicking and won't stop. And I'm like, shut that baby up. I'm like, uh, I'm frustrated by this baby. And yet the mom is like oblivious. Oh my goodness, because she's so slow to anger and filled with compassion and patience. That's our God. <laughs> That's the God that we serve. He's slow to anger and responding to us. It continues, he's abounding in love and faithfulness. God is lo uh, loyal and faithful to his agreement, to his covenant, the covenant that he made you and I, the covenant that was uh, instituted and established through Abraham. Man, God is loyal and he is faithful and we can trust that aspect of his character. You know, I think about the Bible often compares our relationship with God to that of a bride and groom. And, and, he, and oftentimes it says, um, and, and we're like that, that bride, God is the, the, God's the perfect groom, and yet we're like that bride that keeps prostituting ourselves to all these men. And, and day after day, week after week, year after year, we're sleeping around with God knows who, and yet God is faithful. He returns his love, and he is loyal to that agreement, to that covenant, to love and rescue us, even though he doesn't have to. Even though he doesn't have to, he's loyal to it anyways. It says he maintains love to the thousand. God loves those who give him rule. Not only do we love those, but he will bless the generations to follow. He will bless their children and their children's children for thousands to the thousands is what it says, from generation to generation. When we give our hearts, when we give our worship to God, man, God not only bless us, we see the impact for generations to come. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God's love is so far reaching. We see that not only in the Israelites throughout the scripture, but I bet you, you open your eyes and you see that in the people around you. I'm sure that you see that even in your own life. And yet, he closes that uh, he closes um, this 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 verse with he will not leave the guilty unpunished. You know, his love to the thousands can be compared to this aspect of the verse where he says he will not leave the guilty unpunished. God is just, God is jealous. And I'm gonna go into that again a little bit more next week, but he's not talking about a schoolgirl kind of jealousy or, or this, this husband that's just inappropriately jealous. No, he's saying, man, I and me alone am deserving of your devotion. Man, God is just. God is jealous. We, he and he alone is worthy of our devotion. And those are just a few of the reasons that, 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 that we give our worship to God because his character is deserving of it. It's because he and he alone hears our cries. 
and he has promised a solution through Jesus to rescue us. What an amazing God we serve. That's why God should rule your marriage. That's why God should rule and determine the purpose for your life. That's why God and God alone deserves control of your plans. That's why God deserves our obedience. You know, I want you to think about the person in your, your office or your neighbor, that person you're close to, and uh, that person that's quick to forgive. They're, they're compassionate, they're loving, they're gracious. Man, don't you just love and want to be around that type of person? I mean, of course you do. Everybody does. Everybody wants to be around that person. That person is God. That's God. That's God. He's compassionate. He's the person that we want to be around. Why wouldn't we want to worship him and give him rule and reign of our lives and allow him to direct our affections, to allow God and God alone to determine and decide the details of our lives. God is infinitely wise and deserves control of our lives. He and He alone can do a job, can do a good job at leading us to the promised land. He'll do a far better job, has done, and will a hundred percent of the time do a far better job than we will do and leading our lives. God is amazing. And God calls us to relinquish control and give him complete and undivided devotion of our lives. So if God is so amazing, what's the problem? Why do we struggle? Why is it so difficult to give God complete devotion, to give God absolute rule of our lives. What are the barriers? Well, the first one I see in myself and I see in us is that we don't trust. It's difficult. And the fact that the reality is, 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 is we don't trust God. We don't trust him to do a better job than ourselves. We want control. We want, we are control freaks, just like Adam and Eve. You know, in the way that they define good and evil for themselves, we can do the exact same thing. We want to define good and evil for ourselves. Yes, we say we love you, God, and we give him trust. We say that with our mouths, but I see in my life, my actions don't always show that. My actions tell a different story. My, my behaviors and my feelings, my thoughts and my attitudes say something a little bit different than what my words say. You know, I think about parenting. Parenting is one of those things that uh, it demonstrates like none other where our true worship lies. You know, I, I think about my parenting and I feel successful and I feel satisfied when my kids obey me. I feel at peace when they do what I say. When I tell them to clean up and they clean up, oh man, that brings me peace. That brings satisfaction and fulfillment to my heart. Why? Because I'm a control freak. You know, I, 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 my relationship with my kids, it, it's less about them knowing God and them seeing their need for God and them admitting their, their lostness. It's less about connection than it ought to be if I'm being honest and I'm being real. And it actually becomes more about control, me controlling them, them doing what I say. Now, I wouldn't say that. If you ask me, oh yeah, my 
kids is about, hey, helping them become a Christian. But the reality is, if you judge it by my responses to them, parenting is a lot about me controlling them. How do I know that? I look at my responses and I see frustration rather than grace. I see a whole lot of correction rather than seeking connection. I see them trying to make them obey me rather than understanding that we're in the same boat, that we're both sinners. And we're journeying towards, towards God together. Yes, I have some things to impart upon you. Yes, God calls you to obey me in a way that he obey in the way that you ought obey God. However, or obeying me is a an example or uh, or an example of obeying God. However, I'm not God, and I shouldn't put myself in God's seat. And so often I do. When God rules my heart, you know what that means? That means I'm not in control. When God is not in in control. I commit, I'm, I'm committed to craving power. I commit and I, and, and I crave control. I, I'm committed and I crave lustful desires. I crave success. I crave commitment and peace. You know, those are, can, can be good things. However, they're not God. You see, some of the things that I ought, ought to crave are, 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 are things I ought to crave God. And yet, what I tend to crave are the things that God can provide. I ought to be craving God. And, and, and when I crave God, when I desire, when I'm deeply committed and I crave to worship God, God will give me peace. God will give me satisfaction. God will provide a, a rescuing out of the dysfunction in my life. The problem is I tend to worship those God-created things and those blessings of God. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I'm just being honest. That's where I can be. And if I look around, honestly, I see that that's, the, the, that's what our society does. You look at society and you see that's what it boils down to, a decision to disregard God's rule and God's wisdom. That's why there's inequality and racism. You have individuals that put themselves at the top and put others down and treat others as less than humans. That's why we have broken families because God no longer rules. God's no longer at the centerpiece of what it means to be a family. And we begin to define for ourselves and make decisions that, that have a drastic effect on the family unit. That's why we have poverty. You have cultures and individuals who look to their own interests and not to, not to God. That's not God's plan. If we did things according to God's wisdom, man, the world would look, our, we would look, our communities would look a whole lot different. But the reality is, we tend to put our own selves above God and we lack and forget to give him the control that he deserves. If Jesus rules our heart, that means we don't. <laughs> 
If Jesus is ruling our hearts, our lives, our actions, you know what? That, that means that we don't have control. That means we don't know what's best for our lives. That means we relinquish and give him complete control because we trust his wisdom rather than our own. When I think about a definition of worship, worship is, is more than just a, what we do at church. Worship is more than a, a religious term. It's actually a human term. It's a human condition, a human function. It's something that we're all created, whether we, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, we're all created to, to worship something. And ultimately, we're created to worship God, but yet the problem is we give our deepest commitments, our cravings of our heart to those things that are less than. We look for satisfaction in all the wrong places. But the fact is, the reality is, everything we do is driven by our worship, whether we know it or not. It's a foundational truth. It's a foundational commitment to give Jesus and Jesus alone the affection, the deepest affection of our heart. As we close, I want to ask us to evaluate. I wanted to ask us to evaluate where are we directing our affection of our heart. I want you to look at your own heart and ask yourself, where are you directing the affection of your heart? Where do you need to relinquish control today? You're crying out to God in some way and, and Jesus is there to, to rescue you, but you have to give him the opportunity to do that. You got to lay down control, lay down your life and allow him, allow him being Jesus to rule your heart. You can trust his promises because you can trust his character. God and God alone deserves your deepest commitments and your deepest cravings. Let's not give that trust to something or to someone less than. Only God is qualified to rule his creation. Now, I have a challenge for us this morning, a dare, if you will. The dare for us, the challenge for us is to begin each day by reflecting on God's character this week. You know, Exodus 34 is a, a, a perfect passage. As, we, uh, as you begin your day to spend some time in the morning reflecting on the character of God, God's compassion and His grace, God being slow to anger, God abounding in His love and faithfulness. God, it says that, that He maintains love to the thousands. And I want you, as you're, as you're reflecting on His character, I want you to be reminded that God hears your cries, but yet he has promised salvation through Jesus based on his character. You know, I, I believe that if we do that, if you can commit to doing that each day, man, I bet you will see areas of your heart and areas of your life, your affection going to Jesus rather than other areas. I like to imagine if we did this, if if we directed our affection to Jesus one area, one day at a time, our deepest commitments and our deepest cravings were to Jesus. 
that we begin to relinquish control. I, I want us to imagine what would it look like? What would it look like both individually, but also collectively as a community? I want us to imagine the change in direction, the change in our families, the change in our community, the sense of meaning and purpose that we're missing, we're so desperately missing right now, that man, God will step in and he can guide and give us the direction and the sense of satisfaction and the purpose that we desire. Instead of uh, being people of apathy, that man, we become people of action. Imagine that. If we can do this, if we can change, if we can give ourselves, give our deepest affections to Jesus and Jesus alone, God is looking to renovate our hearts today. But in order for our attitudes and our behaviors to look a little bit more like Jesus, it begins with our worship. Jesus ruling the small things, the small areas of our lives, as well as our lives in general, the big areas. I hope this has been helpful. I hope um, this has been uh, spoke to uh, an area of your life where you can give your rule and your reign to God. I look forward to building on this idea over the next two weeks. I want to thank you so much for just listening to us. But remember, affection decides direction. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you for checking out the R&B podcast where you receive your real and biblical manner. Did you like what you heard? Do me a favor, hop on social media and use the hashtag RBMANA or hashtag Real Biblical Podcast to share any gems that you may have heard or any aha moments and also why others should check out this awesome podcast. Be sure to tag me at Tornado Network so that we can share your insights with the world. I look forward to seeing you next time on The Real and Biblical Manner.